Good morning, Trinity Fellowship. It is a great privilege, a great privilege to share this time of worship with you and to open God's Word together. I know I've met many of you. We've met many of you as a family. If we haven't had a chance to say hi, I hope you can join us for, uh, for the lunch afterwards. We look forward to greeting you. But for now, we're going to open God's Word uh, together. And uh, I always encourage you to turn in a Bible, whether it's your own or one that you find nearby, to find, uh, find our passage. And this morning, from the little letter of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. We're going to, uh, actually, before we read these words, I want to give just a, just a brief introduction. Um, you know, at the start of a new year, really, one week into the new year, I thought it would be appropriate for us to just take a step back for a minute, uh, sort of collect ourselves as, as a church, as our, our covenant bearings. What does it look like for the church uh, to go into uh, the new year? What are some of the things that identify us as a church? Maybe the thing that identifies us uh, going forward as the people of God. And so over the last several weeks, uh, you've been left in wonder and amazement at the coming of our King, um, the incarnate uh, Lord Jesus. And we look forward to that second advent, and I pray that wonder continues uh, into 2017. But what do we need to be reminded of? And it's Paul's letter to Titus that helps us with this. Um, So you can follow along with me. We're going to read just the four verses. It's all one sentence. Paul gives the sort of the theological foundation here for what he's asking of Titus and the church. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's word to his people, long ago and to us this morning as well. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this word. Lord, that you would choose to reveal yourself to us, your very character in a way that we can understand is truly remarkable. Lord, we pray now as we search your word, as we reflect upon it, that you would teach us. Uh, We know we can't understand and apply apart from your help. Come, Holy Spirit, speak through your servant now. Make us attentive as we listen, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you had a chance to catch any of your favorite Christmas specials over the last month. White Christmas, um, Miracle on 34th Street, maybe one, It's a Wonderful Life is probably in there. Um, Not long ago, we had a chance as a family, we were flipping through the channels, and we caught the last 15 minutes or so of the Andy Griffith Christmas special. Now, I've got a feeling there's been a lot of Andy Griffith Christmas specials over the years. But this one was in black and white, so that was captivating for us as a family. And during this special, uh, Andy and Barney are trying to disguise their disgust for Aunt B's pickles. She loves her dill pickles. Uh, She's going to enter them in the fair the next week. Um, But to Andy and Barney, they taste like they've been soaking in a brine of kerosene. And so... 
so Ambi, you know, keeps pushing the pickles at them. You guys have got to try these. And so they, they take it and they, they take a bite. Mm, mm. These are some pickles, Aunt B. No one makes pickles like you do when really they're ready to lose their lunch every time they take a bite. Um, and so I mentioned this little episode because I think it captures well what so many, even within the church, um, their attitude toward God. Um, that professing God and really believing what they're saying, what they profess, are two very different things. Uh, professing to know God and knowing God are very different things. Um, see, their, their words are in a different place than their hearts. And so Paul is urging Titus, he's urging this young church, he's urging us as a church going into this new year to live not just as those who profess God, but to be knowers of God. Um, the way in which we live our lives, the very proof is the, the stamp on whether, we're, uh, whether we are genuine followers of Christ, not merely uh, professors. Uh, in chapter 1, he says, just professing, just, just the acknowledgement is, is detestable, uh, disobedient, while the other is zealous and hopeful. Um, so what's going to set us apart? What's going to set Trinity Fellowship apart uh, in 2017? Paul lays it out. It's nothing less than the grace of God. That's the very power, the motivation, the fuel for living the Christian life. It's found in the movement of God toward his people. Uh, salvation has come. Salvation in Christ. And so we're going to look briefly at the aspects of this great salvation uh, that Paul shares, both the saving grace as well as the training grace. And he says, first of all, that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. So this is something in the past. This is something that has been done. God has come to our rescue in the person and work and mission of the Lord Jesus. So the appearing of salvation is, well, it's practically interchangeable with Jesus. Jesus has been lifted up for all to see. He is the deliverer, the deliverer that's been promised all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. And he has come as the guarantee the guarantee that all the promises of the Old Testament would be fulfilled. Paul tells us in Romans 15 that Christ came in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. There's a story of a young mother. Um, she was an artist, and uh, she took very good care of her hands. She had beautiful hands, soft, lovely hands. And one afternoon, uh, she had put her daughter uh, down for a nap, and she took a very rare opportunity to, to go a few houses down and say hi to, to a friend. And she wasn't there long when she heard sirens, sound of emergency vehicles. And she was a little surprised by that. And, and uh, she, she noticed they were starting to come down the road. And she, she looked and sort of followed them and, and noticed they were going to her house. And so she does what I think any parent would do at that point and runs back to the house. And as they're getting on the vehicles, they're trying to stop her from going back into the house for her own safety, but she ignores them. She bursts into the house. She can hear her little girl crying in the room upstairs, and so she, she flies into the room. She scoops up her little girl and, and crashes out of the house and to safety. 
And then sometime later, she's, she's doing dishes with her daughter. And her daughter looks at her hands. She says, Mommy, why are your hands so ugly? And so with sort of wet eyes, she tells her daughter about a fire many years before. After she had done sharing this, her daughter took her mother's hands and said, Mommy, they're the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. Jesus has pulled us from the flames, from the mess of our own sin, the shame and hurt, and he bears those scars himself. Salvation has come. Paul just drives this home. Jesus redeemed and purified his chosen. He pulls us to safety at just the right time. He gets himself bloody and scarred in the process. And now with the most beautiful nail-pierced hands, he says, I have given you. I've given myself for you. You are mine. You belong to me. Don't don't go back there. Um, So the appearing of Jesus, the coming of salvation in the past to bring us back into the family. And the salvation, the saving grace, enables us then to live faithfully in the present. We're going to spend the the whole next point uh, sort of talking about that. But any recipient of God's saving grace, anyone who embraces these covenant promises of God in Jesus, will be growing in grace. The saving grace of God has come. In the past, it has present implications for the way in which we live, and any future grace for the people of God. Hope for what is to come rests on what has already been done. Not long ago, just a couple of months ago, I went to a job fair in West Michigan where we're currently living. And it's the first job fair that I've ever been to. And these are kind of interesting things if you've been to one of these. Uh, You're kind of selling yourself to a potential employer, and at the same time, they're trying to sell themselves to you because they need someone to come work for them, and it's just this strange little dance. But eventually, after you know, talking to them, it would all come down you know, to, the, to the same point in the conversation is, you know, what, let's look at your resume. What experience do you have? You know, what, what have I done in the past that shows I might be the right guy for this or that job? It's true of any sort of interview-type situation. Uh, confidence in someone's future reliability is grounded on their history of past faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, this is true of God. We are certain about what is to come. We wait for our blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior because He came the first time. Because He is faithful to fulfill every one of His promises. He can be trusted. Our hope is sure and steadfast. We're his treasured possession, and we're making preparations for that second advent and his return. One author says, certainty about the future enables growth in the present. So the apostle could not be more certain in verse 13 here, waiting for our blessed hope. Um, I want to remind us this morning, you know, as we step forward into a new day, into a new year, um, that there's no substantial or enduring hope apart from the grace of God. There's no hope for a a meaningful 
or purposeful life right now, if not for, uh, or for the life to come, apart from the saving work of Christ. So we can live sort of apart from God, you know, like all men in all places, living under the common grace of God. We can exist in that way, but that life will be without ultimate purpose or meaning or joy. See, in the new year, we're often thinking about new beginnings, right? New resolutions and good intentions going into 2017. Almost like with just flipping that calendar, you know, we can start fresh and sort of move in a different direction. But in ourselves, we can't do this. We are, we're powerless to change, really powerless to start fresh unless God works this change in us. So we should pray and continue to to pray that that he would work in us a greater love and affection for the Lord Jesus. But any pursuit of holiness that you and I may resolve ourselves to must come about by his grace working in us. So it's God's saving grace in the past, his return in the future, that enables us then uh, to live for him now. Saving grace always comes first. That's the fuel for training grace. So let's see what Paul says here about training grace it's in verse 12. He says, The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So grace trains us, disciplines us, corrects us to live in a way that is godly. You think about, think about the recruits going to, to basic training for the first time. Okay? They're not civilian one day and knowing everything they need to know about life in the military the next. This is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a t- it takes time ongoing in the Christian life. And Paul says, first of all, we must renounce. We must deny or, or speak against ungodliness. Uh, same word that Paul uses in verse 16, a little bit earlier, for those who profess God. See, they profess, but they deny Him by their actions. They say no, they renounce by the very things that they do. So our growth and and training in the grace of God means we are renouncing, saying no to evil and the opposition to God's reign uh, around us. And I think very practically, this is describing many of those things that are sort of external to us, those things that are unhealthy, untrue, uh, dehumanizing, uh, things like the killing of, of unborn children, the availability of pornography or um, legalization of, of harmful drugs, even you know, actively or passively supporting a, a transgender or homosexual lifestyle, this is dehumanizing and hurtful for families within families and outside of families. Um, so you, kind of, you get the idea there. To, to renounce ungodliness, and worldly passions then brings it closer to home. It brings it here. Um, Shifts the focus to declare war on the flesh. Uh, Those internal lusts, internal cravings, sort of ambush us, bully us, to living the way we used to live before we knew Christ. The flesh always slips in that worldly passion, makes it look like something good, like we need it. Um, trying to convince us this. 
So we can renounce ungodliness in, in a lot of ways, and I'm not going to try to give you a list of all of those things in every circumstance. Um, but church, the reality is this. We live in a time, a culture, that really says no to nothing. If it looks good, if it feels good, if it sounds good, well, then go ahead, right? That's the message. Um, but the grace of God trains us disciplines us to say, no, that's a lie. Can, can we still resist in our day? Can we still look in here and say, ew, that's not good. And you turn from this. The fear is that our consciences just grow cold and apathetic and with this onslaught of the world, the flesh, and the devils. There's no neutral ground here, no timeouts, no retirements from this fight. Um, we're either falling in sin, our consciences are, are being hardened towards God, or we're growing in grace, uh, finding renewed strength and courage to stand. Uh, John shares this in his first letter. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possession, it is not from the Father, but from the world. We must fight against worldly passions. Um, if we're going to do that, we're going to fight with any measure of success, we're going to need help. We're going to need each other uh, to do this. Um, we need the encouragement and accountability of one another within the body of Christ. So let me ask you, who are... Who are your training partners in the grace of God as you go into 2017? Um, who is praying for you? Who's, who's checking in on you? Because they love you. Um, I mean, this person should know the specifics of your life. What is your, you're struggling with? Um, so they can pray and hold you accountable. And my guess is, and I, don't, I know I don't have to guess too much, um, that we don't have many of these people in our lives. And we won't, because of how personally they, they will know us. One or two people that we can really be accountable to. Um, it's critical in this fight to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's um, why it's so important we not stop meeting together, like we're doing this morning as we go into the new year. And maybe sharing a cup of coffee during the week. Because um, God's grace works through people. We're encouraging one another in this fight. So the saving grace of God empowers us, gives us the motivation to train. The training grace renounces ungodliness. Here's another R word. Replaces it with something else. Um, you just got me thinking about another one. That, that sounds a lot like repentance, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Renouncing. We're continually renouncing and replacing Renouncing, there's a bonus R word in repentance this morning. Uh, but Paul tells us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So renouncing ungodliness is one cog, replacing it with godliness is the other. Um, and godliness is, that's a, a loaded word. pastor we've been sitting under recently, he likes to say, that's, that word is pregnant with meaning. Okay, there's just, there's so much to it. It's all that glorious stuff of discipleship like renouncing evil and practicing self-control and good works and waiting uh, with hope. And then Paul mentions here the self-control in verse 12, most likely in reference to sexuality. It, it, it could be self-control in other areas as well. Uh, but this was prominent 
uh, that time in that area. If you go back to verse 6, Paul uses the same description when he's addressing young men. Young men, be self-controlled. Um, sexual immorality in all its forms, a significant issue. Um, not much has changed, has it? Um, very significant issue. Um, how Christians, how the church views human sexuality will set it apart. It's true on the island of Crete. It's true today. Um, the, the pull of the human heart. We see it. The pull of the human heart is away from God. And then that's going to force us to really consider, sometimes in fresh ways, what it will mean to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness when it comes to sexuality uh, in this year ahead. But we need to remember, church, we must remember that godliness depends on God. It doesn't depend on you or me, ultimately. Our lives are directed by God as we submit to his lordship, depend on him in the midst of this battle. It's because of God's saving grace that our lives are hidden with Christ and he leads us. Every conversation, every situation strengthens us in this. So good works. It's a theme in Paul's letter to Titus. Uh, professors of God are unfit for any good work, but knowers of God are zealous for good works. It's the good works, the lives of Christians, the knowers of God that will really set them apart. Um, sets us apart because it's not ultimately for ourselves. It's a response to the saving grace of God. So the way you think, what you're processing, what it is you're hearing, the things that you say, your actions every day, they, they will be, not possibly or maybe, they will be a response to what it is you truly believe. So if you believe Christ has paid it all, that apart from him you are, you are nothing, then your very life is fueled by grace. It will be a response to what God has done. You respond more and more the way Jesus responds. Um, to live upright Godly lives is to have the mind of our Savior. Uh, the Savior who has loved us selflessly and perfectly. So when others hear our words, uh, when they see our work, they, sh they should be saying, that's, that's good. That, that's the way it should be done. Uh, you know, I, mean, I mean, I get along with that person real well. Uh, we, we don't agree on a lot of stuff, but, but he's honest. She's a person of integrity, upright, godly lives. Here's one more question I think really drives this text into our hearts. I certainly asked this of myself before I would ask it of any of you. How will you know by looking at me, how will you know by looking at Brad, that I value Jesus above all? How would I know by looking at you in 2017, that Jesus is most precious to you. Do bank transactions reflect this? People or organizations we support, how we prioritize our time, how we spend it? Think through those. Because as you answer those to yourself, maybe those close friends, they'll begin to show you where you may or may not be renouncing ungodliness and replacing it with godliness.
The Apostle Paul, he opens every one of his letters, Titus, uh, all the other letters that he writes, regardless of his audience, with the words grace to you and peace. He conveys right at the opening the promises of the gospel in Christ. The anchor of all godliness is found in those words, grace to you. To know saving grace is to be in training grace. They always go together. When we respond to the saving grace of God, we will bring our lives under His scrutiny. Not our neighbors, not the expectations of your family, not what you're hearing on the news. It's hard. It bombards us all the time. But our affections and our actions will be driven by grace. God's grace is the motivation. It truly changes everything. From being mere professors to knowers of the living God. So may that be your response. May that be your, your stake in the ground as you go into 2017 uh, as a church family. And we continue to pray for you as a church. I know uh, you are doing that for our family as well. And uh, should the Lord converge our paths or lead us in new directions, uh, we will uh, ever praise him for his marvelous grace in this new year. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you and praise you for such an amazing grace that you would come to our rescue in the Lord Jesus, calling us your very own, adopting us into your family, as we remember today, fully identifying with us as our Savior. Lord, we praise you and we thank you that it is your work in us that enables us to follow you faithfully to walk in godliness. Give us courage and boldness as we go into this new year as individuals and as a family in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.